This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome back to the infamous Green and White brought to you by Argyle Life. Yet another pilgrimage continues to trouble the Greens as we leave East Anglia with nothing, despite cultivating a good performance, with several in the home end claiming we're the best side to visit Portman Road so far this season. Morgan Whitaker's fantastic strike down in front of the travelling faithful planted hope and faith amongst the Greens, but it is the Tractor Boys who harvested all three points, while Argyle are left to suffolk the consequences of a poor refereeing display. Dear me. <laughs> After Mustafa Bundu is ploughed into from behind. Joining me to... Uh, he's ploughed twice. That's poor. Joining me to plough through this one is John Alsop. How are you? You calmed down? Uh, yes, I can confirm that after having a the wobbliest of wobbly heads, making Churchill the dog look like a statuesque figurine over calmed down over the course of today. Yeah, not too much. I think there was a few rogue tweaks from us all, um, John. Uh, not all of us from the official account, though, just, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> that was only Aaron. No, no. No, I put some on my private as well. Um, back again, Ben. How are you? Yeah, also slightly more uh, considered today, but also coming in with a red-hot agenda. That I'm sort of burning to uh, to air. Dan Ellard joined us up at Portman Road. How are you? What do we What do we think of Dan? <laughs> no, I'm good, mate. Thanks. Oh, good. And the man who's made quite the impression on those in East Anglia and developed a few new affectionate nicknames online. Sam Down. Good evening. Yeah, there's, there's a couple in there that I'm not going to repeat on air, but on air, uh, on here, but um, they are fantastic and they will be repeated by me till the end of time. Um, John, seeing as you're only with us until half time, why don't you run us through this one first? Yes, um, much like yesterday's game, uh, all hope will disappear at half time when I exit the pod for another engagement that I have in my diary. Um yeah, so um, first of all, I think we just played really, really well yesterday. Probably one of our best performances of the season. Um, 
started the game exactly the right way on the front foot, looked really, really good in transition. Um, obviously, Morgan Whitaker has scored an absolute screamer of a goal in front of uh, the travelling fans uh, off to his left as the ball arced into the same top corner that Bally Mumba also hit uh, last season. Uh, the scenes this time uh, maybe slightly more restrained because it wasn't a 94th minute equaliser, but still an unbelievable goal and, and great limbs in the away end. And after that, I thought we were... I thought we were um, pretty comfortable, to be honest, for for a long for a long spell in the first half. Um, I had actually predicted before the game that we would go two 0 up and then lose four two. So I was only in the end one goal <laughs> away from that being uh, correct. But um, no, I thought we looked excellent. And then of course, and then of course, the game turned just before half time. Firstly, Mustafa Bundu racing clear with an incredible turn of pace um, to get away from. Their centre-back, who sides him down, um, Ipswich fans seem to have convinced themselves there was no contact based on one camera angle. I think it's pretty clear that there is contact, at the very least. He hasn't got the ball whatsoever. Um, and yeah, I think he's I think he's thrown Bundu off his stride and, and cleaned him out. And it's um, it's a red card. It's a definite red card. Uh, I think Ipswich, for some Ipswich fans we spoke to, to be fair to them, on the way home, um, agreed. So there was a sh- sort of sharp collective intake of breath around Portman Road, which would be the only noise their fans made all afternoon. Um, as uh, as Bundu was taken down, um, we were all just expecting, um, I think, you know, my sort of mind had gone to, is this going to be a yellow or a red? Because there are some covering defenders, but, but it looked to me like a red card. And then there's no whistle, nothing. Um, and yes, a few minutes later, a moment of head loss from Mumba, um, unfortunately, uh, you know, hacking an innocuous kind of dribbling ball that's going through to Cooper into his own net, whether that's just a, a rookie mistake or a sort of moment of head loss because the game, you know, we felt like the momentum had, had sort of changed with that with that decision from the referee. I don't know, uh, but it's really poor from Mumba, to be honest. Um, we go in at halftime at 1-1. And I still felt, you know, pretty good about getting something out of the game, um, you know, whether that be because... Um, the players might have came out, might have come out in the second half, sort of fired up with a with a searing sense of injustice, or just if you know, just based on how we were playing even before that moment. Um, and yeah, and I think in the end we would have been absolutely great value for a point. I don't think anyone could have complained if we had if we had won the game. Um, but unfortunately, you know, another individual error this time from Dan Scar is letting George Hurst to to finish crisply and make it two one. Um. And after that, it was it was a combination of things, I guess, that meant that we lost the game. We didn't take a number of, of presentable opportunities. Obviously, Hladki has had a, a great game in, in goal for them, but did sort of fumble, actually, a ball right at the end, which Wayne could maybe on a different day have got a bit luckier with the rebound and put it in for 3-3. But um, yeah, before we got to that point, obviously, they went 3-1 up um, with a goal that came, I believe, very shortly after Bundu limped off with us having used all of our substitute windows, despite having only made three actual changes. So we were not legally allowed to bring on another player. Um, so, yeah, obviously going away to the side that are second in the league and having to play with 10 men is always going to be really difficult, especially in a game where the other team should have been down to 10 men for the entire second half. They got a goal. Well, I guess we were readjusting. And um, even then, I felt with 10 men, we were the better side. Obviously, Joe Edwards has put one away after missing a glorious chance when it was only 2-1 to, to equalise, he did pull one back um, after Mumba somewhat redeemed himself with a great little bit of trickery down the right-hand side of the box. But um, yeah, it wasn't to be. Obviously, as I mentioned, there was that chance then for Wayne at 3-2 with one of the last kicks of the game. But after that, they just sort of held the ball in the corner. Um, and yeah, and we lost. And it was very, very difficult to take. Uh, as has been alluded to already, I may have tweeted some intemperate 
things uh from my uh account which otherwise only really use for work purposes um but you know it, it's not like i entirely renounced them i mean i said in one hot-headed tweet that Ipswich are the worst side i've seen us play this season that was already caveated with the fact i didn't see us play sheffield wednesday on wednesday night and there's a couple of other games i haven't seen as well but um yeah i'll probably retract that one but i certainly don't think they were very good um but they were extremely mediocre at best um so we were by far the better side and, and very clearly it's just rotten luck and terrible officiating that has lost us the game um i think you can't legislate for that any week and certainly against a team who are second in the league you really need those things to go your way and, and it just didn't happen for us so um i won't preempt what sam is about to say i'll disagree with him after he said it um about whose fault yesterday was but um i thought on the whole it's a great effort from the lads and yeah just undone by factors that were mostly beyond our control yeah, um, I agree with almost all of what John said. Really, I, I agree that the that it was some shocking refereeing. Um, that, that we shouldn't. Well, don't, I guess with this one, we can kind of mould ref watch into our analysis of the game because the refereeing decision was such an integral part of all the right. game. Yeah, well, sure. I think it was such an integral part of the game that, that it has <laughs> to be. It cannot really be looked at in a vacuum. So. I think with the, the the foul on Bundut, you have to basically. There's three things you have to break down. One, was it a foul? Two, if it's a foul, should it have been a red card for denial of a clear goal score opportunity? Three, was it a penalty, as many fans have claimed? Um, and I think the first call um, is, is, is obviously very much what the other two hinge on. I think it was a foul. I think there, there are a certain few camera angles to make it look like there wasn't contact, but I think he's very clearly clipped the player's leg without getting the ball. Can you argue that Bundu's initiated the contact and that Bundu's maybe already on his way down before the clip? I must admit that was my first instinct seeing it in the ground. I did not think it was a foul. Seeing it again, no. I think he's just clipped him. I think... Um, that he, Sam, he, he, Sam, just quickly, yeah. to be clear, was the only person in the away end who didn't think that was a red card in real time. And well, quickly. I like to be different. I like to be different. We, we know, but we yeah, know, mate. Having, having, we having know. seen it again, he's, yeah, he, he, he has clipped him. I don't think I don't think that the argument is that Bundu is already on his way down is a strong one. I think his body is arching forward. That's just the way he's running. I think very much the clip sends him down. So first question is it a foul. I think the answer is yes. Um, is it um, a red card for denial of a clear goal score opportunity? I think yes. You can maybe argue there's a covering defender, but I don't think so. I think Bundu is clearly ahead of the covering defender. Um, I don't think the, the other defender would have got back enough to narrow the angle. It would have been a one-on-one probably would have been too little. So I think, yes, it's a foul. Yes, it's a red card. Um, in, to the third question, is it a penalty? No. I think the contact very much happens outside the box. I know that there's the argument that if the contact continues inside the box, that then maybe it's a penalty. But no, I think the contact happens outside the box and Bundu naturally with his body motion falls into the box, but the contact starts and ends outside the box. So I think it's a foul and a free kick and a red card. And obviously, then they go up the other end and they equalise. And, and as John said, that, that changes the picture of the game. I think we were absolutely the better team over the 90 minutes. Um, Advance had a good chance. Hundle had a good chance, as well as the three goals. And probably the best chance of the game we didn't score for, which was the Edwards one-on-one at 2-1 that would have made it 2-2. Really, really absolutely has to be putting that away. Um, and it's just a shame we didn't. And obviously, if we had, then that, that game probably would have got on to end the draw and who knows, maybe we could have even got a winner. But um, we, we played a very, very, very well. It just didn't have so many good chances. Obviously, the first goal was a complete fluke. Um, yes, they did. They did have two well-worked goals for the second and the third. But as John said, both of those have caveats. Scar switched off for the second, let her get in 
completely behind as, as well worked it was nice pass out from Babke absolutely um, sublime ball over the top by Davis but Scar should still be tracking the run better and he just doesn't do so uh, and then the third one yes again a very well worked goal but it was 11 against 10 and we were slightly readjusting to that so um, and Ipswich really apart from that didn't have a great deal of chance at all they had a lot of fluent attacking play and a lot of times where they they did work the ball into very nice areas but they didn't really have many what I'd call heart in the mouth moments they had balls and it sort of just fished across goal and and players nearly got on the end of it but, but nothing like the Edwards chance where you'd say wow you know he should be scoring that they didn't really have any chances of of that magnitude unless I'm forgetting any um so yes very good performance in the main absolutely should have at least drawn the game I really think we should have won the game um, so it's going 3-1 down was a real sickener in that context. Um, I suppose where I'm going to then add another dimension that John's maybe not going to agree with so much is I, I feel it just feels like deja vu. It just feels like yet another game where we're getting a kind of patronising pat on the head saying, oh, it's so lovely how well you're playing. You play such... It's like when um, Pep Guardiola plays a lower league team in the FA Cup and goes, oh my God, they were so brave, they were so wonderful. And like, come on, you know, you, you just beat them 5-0. And obviously this isn't the same because it wasn't 5-0 and we're in the same league. But the, the attitude that Ipswich, Preston fans, West Brom fans, Watford fans, Southampton fans, Birmingham fans have all said to us after their games is, they've played so well, they're one of the best teams that, we, that we've played. I know that Watford was the, only the first game of the uh, first away game of the season but generally the, 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 that's been the undertone they're such a good team they'll be up there and thereabouts but what's the other common thread the amount of wins we've got in those games is deciding zero and okay three good away draws at Watford Hull and West Brom but but no wins in any in any of those games whatsoever and and the, the main talking point for those of you who listened to last week's podcast and I'm sorry this is turning into a bit of a long monologue and we'll try and wrap it up shortly but the main talking point on last week's podcast you I think you are me I know, right? If there's only you could have long monologues, um, was it's great that we're um that, that we're getting some convincing wins at home, but we're not closing out the tight games. And, and I wasn't on for the Twitter space after Wednesday; I was working. But again, it just sort of backs up my theory that we only have one way of winning games, which is whether the team comes to home park who is either very clearly worse than us or is having a very bad off day. We can absolutely put them away, and we can win by by two or three goals, but. We're not finding ways of winning the games against the teams um, who, you know, away from home or against the teams who are better than us on paper. Um, and, I, and only occasionally are we managing to draw those games. So I, I am I am once again concerned about that. And, I, and I, I do think that this is the reason why, even if we do stay up, I think all the thoughts after the midweek game that we could be heading for comfortable with table are, are completely... Um, for the birds, in my honest view, I don't think. I think it. I think we may very well start, but I think it's going to be nip and tuck, and it's going to be very tight to the end of the season. And I think we are, for us to do so, even if it is only rarely, we are going to have to start finding ways of turning these tight games in which we play well into wins. Because there are so many instances: Dalton in the year they went up after Lee Bowyer, um, even Wickham at times under Ainsworth, um, Burton, where, where teams come up and they, they they're a brave, sort of aggressive, you know fearless newly promoted teams who take the games to teams but they always get edged out of close games and I think that's why that we are very much fitting that pattern of being a brave but ultimately not quite good enough newly promoted team and that's not necessarily denigrating us we do have the smallest or second smallest budget in the league but I think we need to be realistic and, and, and say that ultimately if if we were going to start converting these good performances to results on a regular basis it would have happened by now it's not that it will never happen 
But I think the idea that we're going to suddenly start seeing seeing us settle into mid-table and start winning these kind of games, I don't think will happen, but I hope I'm wrong. Can I just quickly jump in, given that I previewed what Sam would say and, and have disagreed with him about this privately, to say the reason I disagree is because I think we were heading in the right direction away from home before yesterday, as we discussed at length on last week's pod. Um we uh yesterday was never going to be the sort of game that defines our season. We're playing a team that are by miles in the top two. Um, so to so for me it felt like a free hit. And thirdly, like I get what Sam is saying, and there have been occasions this season where we have ourselves to blame for not edging those games where we're playing well away from home. Yesterday we were just robbed. It happens. You can't do anything about it. And that's not to say there weren't individual errors. There were, but the game, everything that happened after the 40th or so minute for me has an asterisk next to it of this would not have happened if they had gone down to 10 men, which they should have done. Uh, so it's it's a it's a refereeing howler. It's not just a bad decision. It's one of the worst decisions I've seen on a football pitch with my own two eyes in the flesh ever. Um, it's a, I do, do not know what their centre-back is thinking at all. It's a horrendous challenge. Complete head loss. Should have changed the game. Um, so I just don't think you can. I don't think you can extrapolate too much from yesterday's game because that is not going to happen every week. Although, yeah, you know, we are not getting good refereeing in general at the moment, so maybe it can. But um, that was of a different magnitude, and I think it's unlikely to happen again. Yeah, go on, Ben. You were patiently trying to butt in then. The patient button in was with the Bundu thing. People are saying, "Oh, he's gone down," unless he's got eyes in the back of his head. How does he know when the guy's swinging his foot? The idea that he sort of initiated contact or preempted the swing. He's literally behind him. He's not adjacent to him. He's got no view of him. So he's no way of going down at that time unless he's felt the contact. So the idea that there's no contact there is just ridiculous for, for the foul. Um, and also, do... why why would he go down? Yeah. yeah. He's through. He's about to score. He's about to have a shot, right? It just doesn't make any, it doesn't make any sense to me. No, because he's probably not going to be taking the penalty, is he? And he's going to want the goal. So and it was even... outside the box. So if he was going to dive, surely you'd have waited until he knew he was inside the box and and gone down in there. Nothing about that argument makes any sense. Yeah, the idea there was no contact was just, I think, been debunked. If not, in all honesty, and um, you know the performance. I do. I think it was possibly the most encouraging performance of the season. That the, the the change in the way we're playing, although we've played different formations. Um, and different, slightly different tactics in all three games since the little mini break, uh, since the international break and the kind of reset. There's been a real sort of championship quality, which I mentioned last time I was on, 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 on the midweek spaces, that we sort of look like a championship team all of a sudden. And yes, there were individual errors. And yes, they were punished disproportionately again yesterday. But that happens. Teams make errors. Um, we just seem to be getting punished. So um, the performance was really encouraging. Um, but ironically, I came away the most dispirited I think I've been all season um and I've you know I've got the like Sam was saying you know teams are saying oh you're you're good but we're not winning we actually are you know I, I went and did a deep dive because there's a few narratives and I don't know when Aaron's gonna let me loose just do it now go on go for it get clipped there's a few narratives that sort of keep surfacing online that they really need to die the first the first one is people saying oh we need to start finishing our chances taking our chances We'll get results when we start finishing our chances. We are creating and finishing at an elite level. Yeah, I'm talking not just compared to our, our our league, but to the Premier League. I went and looked at the Premier League stats as well as the Championship stats. Um, and of course, managers and players will say, "Oh, you know, we could have finished this chance," or and fans will say, "Oh, that you know, that Edwards was through." But all teams miss chances, and we are we are creating and finishing better than virtually anybody. 
Um, so to expect us, this, you know, everything will be okay when we start taking our chances. That needs to die. The other one, and it, it normally means one of two things, is people saying, oh, it's going to click or it will come good soon. And that means one of two things. One, we're not quite good enough yet, but with a bit more time, a bit more work, we'll get it right. Or it means because we've been disproportionately affected by the intangibles like refereeing decisions or, you know, th those sort of things, um, people getting cleaned out with forearms and not picked up, that sort of stuff, or our, our individual errors leading to goals rather than us getting away with it. Oh, that all evens out over a, a, a season and people say, you know, oh, it'll, it'll come good in the end. And both of those things are also like they need to be done away with because we're already good enough. And again, I'll run you through the data in a minute. Like we are easily performing in this league far above our position. And so if you're saying we need to improve more, I don't think that's realistic and I don't think it's reasonable. We're already performing way above our budget. You know, Sam was saying, you know, we, we're not closing out these games. We're actually performing well. It's this, you know, it's just crazy that we're getting these rubs of the green, the brown end of the stick. Um, and the idea that it'll all even out, there's no why. Why? Why will it all even out? What's to say that we don't keep getting punished? That that can happen. You know, Jack Leslie deserved to play for England. He didn't because th things weren't applied properly. You know, um, there was a boxing match last night, and everyone seems to think that that was was a robbery. If you don't apply that, you, you can do everything that's within your control. But if you if you if there's things beyond your control don't work out, then that you, you can't control that. So just saying, oh yeah, it'll be all right because we're doing well. So I mean, I've got some. I've I've done done the work on the stats, right? So people say we don't, may, might say we don't score enough. We've from open play, we are the second in the league for goals scored. We scored twenty one goals, which is joint second with Leicester. The only team that scored more from open play is Ipswich. The league average is thirteen and a half goals from open play. So we're finishing chances. We say, oh yeah, but what about you know the chances we create? Are we are we doing enough with? Are we wasting chances? No, we're actually the most efficient. So, so we 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 have fourteen shots on target per game, which is only eleventh in the league. But we have five point nine shots on target per game, which is third. There's only five Premier League teams that have more shots on target per game than Argyle, and there's only two in our league who hit more shots on target. We're also the the first for percentage of shots on target. We hit forty two point one percent of our shots on target that's more accurate than yeah, let me have that's that's more accurate than anybody in our league i'll just get the premier league stats up the only two teams more accurate with shots on target in the premier league are manchester city and newcastle as of now so the idea that we need to be more clinical we are hitting the target better than virtually anybody and more than anyone could expect is that oh yeah some of those shots might be from distance etc etc or you know just because they're on target doesn't mean they're a challenge well we're outperforming our xg by 127.3%. The only team who scored more goals than us over their XG in our league is Norwich. And it's not fair to compare. There's nobody in the Premier League has, but it's not fair to compare because they haven't played as many games. So we're outperforming what we could expect us to score. So for every 100 goals, as it were, we'd score, we'd, we expected to score, we're scoring 127. Only Norwich have outperformed us in that stat. So not only are we creating chances, hitting the target and scoring more than we ought, but we're doing it at a level, not just elite for this league, but is better than a lot of teams. You know, we're, we're, we're outperforming Liverpool against Liverpool playing against Premier League defenders in terms of accuracy and chance creation. 
where Argyle are performing better against championship defenders. So the argument that, oh, we need to start finishing our chances just needs to be put in the bin. Yes, we do miss chances, but all teams miss chances. We just see ours. We're actually finishing really, really well. Then then the idea that... Um, <laughs> that's, just, that's, that's point one. Then the idea that it'll all come good. So um, who scored? They take all of the data um, from all kinds of different metrics, both defensive and offensive, uh, and they compile them into a team rating. So it'll be things like tackles, interceptions, aerials, duels, ones, passing percentages, shots on target, all of these things, and they give a team a rating per match. Argyle, over the season, are the eighth highest rated team in the league. Now, that makes sense if you think about it, because our, as I've just described, our attacking output is elite, and our, most of our defensive output is in the bottom half. Some of them are, are like you know ranked the, the bottom two, three, or four. So elite attacking skills, mediocre to poor defensive, about eighth. That makes sense, yeah. And you could you can argue about sort of how accurate or how representative they are. But we're playing like the eighth best team in the league, but we're nineteenth. And that's that's a problem because a lot of that is down not to our performances. Our, our performances merit better results. So the idea that we can, you know, oh, we just need to get a little bit better, I think is people said I was doom and gloom for saying that's not not fair. Actually, I think it's, it's it's more doom and gloom for saying, oh, we should be better because we've got the smallest budget in the league. We've just come up from the division below. We're playing against teams we've not played against with refs that we've not played with before. And we're the eighth best team on paper. So, you know, this sort of like, oh, you know, it'll come good when we when we sort it out. You can't expect these players. I think the players and the manager are wringing every little bit out of themselves that they can, especially these last three games. These last three games against West Brom, against Ipswich, and against who was oh we we beat Wednesday, didn't we? Against those three teams, our rating was because our rating was six point six six, which is good enough for eighth in the league. If you if you average the res, the ratings we got again in those three games, it's six point seven three, which is good enough for fifth in the league, which is playoffs. So the last three games we've been playing like a playoff quality team. And yet we've picked four points up from that. And you say, well, that four points is good. But, well, it's not. Because one was beating the bottom of the league team at home. And the other was a point away. And points away, you know, if we if we draw every single away game from now to the end of the season, yeah, maybe you would take that. But you need to start winning some at home as well, more than is representative. So the idea that, oh, it'll all come good. We need to get better. No, we're probably playing at our ceiling. We're probably wringing everything out that we can. And it's not the player's fault or the manager's fault. Um, and then the, the idea that things will just even out over the course of the season. I was banging that drum, you know, on the, on the, the midweek um, spaces. I was saying, you know, this last couple of games, real co- cause for confidence with sort of the, the tactical niggly fouls and all of that. We're looking like a championship team. And then the referee goes and doesn't give that decision, which is just ludicrous. If he'd have, if he'd have given a yellow card, uh, you know, and a free kick six yards away from the box or something, I wouldn't be feeling as down. But the fact that that could be completely given, it's like, what's the point? The the, the players, we haven't done ref watch yet, but the, the teams were playing to two different sets of rules at times. It was, it was, it was actually ludicrous. I know there are 50-50s in terms of it's a contact sport, how much jostling is allowed, but there were, you know, you could see people's abdomens because their shirts were being pulled so much. And it's like, no play on. It's like, that's not, you know the fact that the rules can be misapplied that badly means Argyle could do absolutely everything in their power. But if that's going to happen, what can you do? There's you just because you know you don't always get what you deserve. Uh, and, and people say, well, yeah, but you know, Dan Scar, little moment of indecision, Hurst is through, still has to finish a difficult chance. And he does. How often is that going to happen? Well, it's, it's happened. 
repeatedly this season already. And there's no reason why it won't continue. Now, will it? You know, but on the balance of probability, will it? No. You know, on the balance of probability, they will start dropping our way. And that's what people are saying, oh, we'll come good. But there's no guarantee of that. In fact, there's just as much likelihood that our the ceiling that we've we've reached and are continuing to perform at will actually drop, that we regress to a mean. So, you know, people stop being so clinical and punishing our errors, but our performances regress because we're performing so far above what you could expect of us. So I, I kind of like, I, I, every time someone says, oh, it's all right, it will come good on my timeline, I kind of have a bit of a, it's like we're already playing at an elite level. We're playing as a top eight team. In the last three games, we've been playing as a top five team. The, the fact that we're 19th is is down to factors beyond our control. The team are practically doing everything they can. I don't think you can expect them to perform any better. I don't think you can expect them to finish any better. Yes, they do make individual errors and they've been getting punished, but that's the squad we've got. We are the the worst the worst budgeted team in the in the league, if not the the joint or the second worst. You know, the fact that they're performing at that level is incredible, and the fact that things could get. And finally, the reason I'm so despondent is the two injuries, which I know you will get onto, so I'm not going to cover it too 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 much. But we were if we were if we're nineteenth when effectively we're the eighth best team in the league because so many things are going against us. What's going to happen now that our performances might be affected quite severely by the loss of a, of of the top man at, at the top of the pitch? Um, that's why I think it is time to be disappointed. And you know, people, I've had, saw a lot of things. I think I disagree with Joe on Twitter. So you know, don't be too downbeat about that. I'm not downbeat about the performance, but I disagree about we shouldn't be downbeat because we're getting the brown end of the stick every time this week, uh, this this season rather, and now that happens how can we expect things to to improve if we're if we're getting um if we're suffering so badly at the hands of misfortune before we get the the worst misfortune we've we've got this season so far there you go end of rant that was <laughs> that was epic in its proportions i'm sure yeah you've been sat there quietly dan um Cornish pilot, obviously Ben's been for a few positives in a, in a roundabout way, but um, Cornish pilot 1980 said, uh, can we draw out some positives as there are many? Plenty of people are losing their heads on social media. Could never be us. Well, a, a lot of a lot of positives have already been mentioned, so I'll, I'll try and think of some which haven't. But um, it's, it, it is difficult to be, to, to find the positives after, you know, a when it's just such a kind of galling defeat in the, in the manner that it that it came of i was weirdly relaxed at the game yesterday because I, I, i'm not going to claim to be like Darren brown or someone here but you, do you know when you just get that vibe from a game and you just get the sense of like this ain't going our way there is no way that we're holding on to this lead was all I was thinking. And that's not to put anything, that's not a criticism of the players or the manager or anything against them. It's just like, this ain't falling our way today, is it? And, and, and so it proved. So it, it, it was weirdly kind of like, uh, oh, well, whereas, you know, I'd normally be full of kind of passion and kicking every ball and, and everything, especially watching Argyle away, but positives, just, just the kind of the, the level of, performance as as have been said we've got it's, it's worth remembering where we've come from we are a small fish in this league we can compete we're not you know as i kind of have said before we're not just you know like a 
team enjoying their trip out there one season in the championship and going to go back down to the lower leagues. We we deserve to be here and we and we can, you know, make a fist of it at this level um, in the years to come for sure. Um, but still, we are a small fish in this league. So to see some of the football we put together, um, backed up by those stats that were said, is fantastic. The way I think we can play through a high press is is astonishing. You know, I spent years watching us um, in the lower leagues and basically you kind of knew that if an opposition had a good high press against us, that ball was going long up the pitch because we weren't good enough to play through it. And, you know, that's probably the same could be said of of pretty much every lower league team. You know, that's that's fine. But now, if a team presses us, we have got such good technical players and such good cohesion amongst our team, throughout our team, we can play through that, you know, and, it, and it's fantastic to see. I think, and I think that's kind of widespread, you know, look, with having a, a striker like Ryan Hardy and, and Bundu and, and Wayne, all of our strikers, you know, none of them are kind of big target man winning headers, that that type of thing, um, which you need when you can't play through a high press, absolutely. But we still are so effective because we have such good players on the ball. I think especially kind of Azaz and Kundal seem to have such a good cohesion between the two of them that when, you know, say the ball gets kind of played out into the pivot, normally Houghton, obviously it was Randall yesterday, you know, and, and then, then maybe, you know, he, he shifts it out to a fullback and then it pops into Azaz or Kundal. The quick kind of one touch or two touch play between those two of them um, means that we're, you know, we're turning defences around and we're getting up the pitch really, really effectively. Whereas, like I say before, you know, I, I just don't think players that we've had in the past or managers have been able to get the most out of players to be able to have that quickness of thought and ability to pull off these sharp, quick, crisp passes. So that's really encouraging. And and it will, it will come, you know, I, I, I totally agree that we are kind of, playing at the absolute maximum i don't think there is much more that we can give um or much more that we can do it's, it's frustrating obviously the defensive errors sometimes but that's that's football you know no one's perfect there are a hell of a lot of positives to take um it's just it's just very very frustrating when you just like i say just kind of know that it's not going to be your day and and when you're up against when the kind of cards are stacked so much against you you know it's which have a huge budget compared to us and then to have a you know referee making those types of decisions um it's just it's going to be very very difficult to get something out of the game isn't it yeah i mean my running order is shot anyway so let's go around about um several twitter questions and all that sort of stuff uh, lee palmer has said can we spend more time talking about the ref yesterday as i'm I've not seen it mentioned much. I don't know if we've covered the ref yet. I think uh, <laughs> I think we've done enough on that. And Mike says it's got to be time that refs have to justify their opinions, their decisions even. But obviously, as much as we can blame the officials for some of their decisions, uh, can we just take a moment for some of our defending? I'm completely skipping Morgan Whitaker's goal here, clearly. Um, mainly, what on actual God's earth is Bally Mumba doing for that equaliser? To be fair, if I was on the pitch after that foul had not been given... My head would have gone, and it is a ridiculous sort of effort. He kind of goes for it, doesn't go for it, and then sort of does nothing, to knock it into the net. It's ridiculous. It's an awful piece of play, but it should be recognised, should be mitigated that he's trying to do a job whilst thinking, how on earth has the ref not given that? 
he'd be, you know, I would have probably got a red card before that point. I mean, I know that Joe sort of said that um, about about the other week, but genuinely, without hyperbole, if I'd been on the pitch, then I would have someone would have had to pull me back because that would have been. You know, I, I don't understand how. I mean, they've they've all got some stones to be able to just sort of close that off, some mental fortitude to just carry on with the game. And I can understand if he's a little bit distracted. That's not an excuse. He's a professional football player. These things happen. They'll have happened before. Um, he'll have had bad decisions in matches before. But I do think, and this is this is just the only point I'm making on that. It's it's a ridiculous error, but his head might well be somewhere else during that sort of set play of those last those couple of minutes after the decision. Yeah, I don't know if there's been uh, two performances at a ground that differ between Bally members. Um, yes, John, you can have the next question before you jump off. Um, the two two performances that have differed so vastly at one ground, obviously Bally member getting the equaliser back there in whenever that was. That was that was some day. Josh Rowe has asked Mumba, are we getting the best out of him on the left wing? Um, do you feel that he's lucky we don't have anybody else to really come in and replace him? Yeah, I mean, I would I would just say in his defence that he then set up a goal for us in the game yesterday with a with a wonderful piece of play. And he set up a goal with a very similar kind of run at Hull. So that would be, I guess, two of our last three goals away from home that he has been absolutely critical to. The other one being, a you know, just a screamer from Whitaker. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, we, we certainly haven't seen the best of him this season. I guess there are a number of possible explanations for that um i guess you know they, they could all partially be true um is it that he's just finding his feet at this level still after playing a lower level with us last season is it you know as, as the question uh, sort of suggested that we're not getting the best out of him positionally or asking him to do sort of quite a lot of different types of job in different formations as the shoey roulette spins um yeah it might be a little bit of, of both of those i think some of the people who've really criticized him have been unfair uh to some extent i still think that while he's not been the difference maker we we know that he can be from last season it is a step up i do think he's absolutely good enough to be a great player at this level um maybe there were elevated expectations after he skinned the entire Huddersfield team on day one i mean that's not going to happen every week um so I've, i've not you know i've not been hugely disappointed with him that being said i think he could and needs to do more um i think whether that's sort of sorry one, one other actual just while it comes to mind one other factor i think that maybe is a bit underrated is i think because he's one of our star men one of our danger players other teams are really paying him a lot of attention um which is flattering i guess to him but obviously it's it's difficult when you're marked out of a game uh, yesterday i thought was probably one of his worst games in a while um he did have that great assist at the end he did some okay things uh he also gave the ball away a few times in the first half if i remember correctly a couple of sort of surging runs where he got tackled i think one of those at least they sort of launched a counter-attack from it that could have been costly um and then clearly there was that yeah as, as ben was just talking about that really awful piece of defending at the end of the first half and, and while i accept ben's explanation for for maybe his head was gone you got it you know you've got to be better than that. Essentially, you've got to just put that out of your mind. Obviously, I'm not in his head, so I can't exactly tell you what, what was going through it when he decided to to kick the ball. But it's, yeah, it's a rash piece of defending. Um, yeah. Are we, is he lucky we don't have someone else who's not the one to come in? I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily think that it's... I don't necessarily think he's he's guaranteed a place on the team sheet for that reason. I think there are, you know, Shuey 
likes to play um, different systems, as we know. I think if, if we were to go to a back, you know, a back three with with two wing backs, it's very possible that they could be Kesler Hayden and Miller, who has had two absolutely excellent games in a row. Uh, could be Kesler Hayden and Edwards. You know, there, there, there is a number of combinations of players that doesn't involve Mumba there. And then and then obviously then you have the trend of two narrow two in behind the striker, which wouldn't be him. In terms of, you know, uh, if we if we were to play a front three or a three behind the striker, could conceivably see Azaz and Kundal and Whitaker uh, in some in some kind of combination in those roles. Obviously, that would be a slightly different approach to having Mumba because he likes to hug the touchline and cut inside. Clearly, what one of Azaz or Kundal would have to play wider in that scenario and that would be a bit different but it's not it's not impossible okay i I don't think he should think his place is is sort of taken for granted because um you know because there's no one else to come in i think i think there are other options um i'm starting to wonder if maybe he could use a game off as a kick up the ass possibly um i again i'm really not one of these people who thinks he's had a terrible season at all um i think that a lot of the commentary has been unfair but yeah he cost us yesterday and I wonder, yeah, I wonder if that might be something that we should think about. Um, I think, and 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 also to stop myself now getting shouted at about this, I think you should throw over to Sam, who has a much harsher opinion than I do about Bally Mumba. Isn't that right, Sam? Yeah, kind of is. Yeah. Um, look, I, I I know that Ben made a good point on a podcast that I wasn't on. Actually, when you look beyond the basic numbers, some of his advanced stats are pretty good. In that he gets us up, he gets up the field. He keeps the ball in 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 simple ways, and I, and I do get that. And I and I wonder if I am becoming like the the kind of worst kind of pundit that I moan about for reducing everything to a financial fee. But becoming. I just feel that as a as a headline signing of the summer, you want to see a bit more from him in terms of that biting final product, final ball. He's got <clears throat> look. He got obviously that incredible first game where he got he set up a goal for Whitaker and then made a goal for himself and finished out, finished out of absolutely nowhere. And yes, he did have a, a good cross thread but yesterday. In between that, he's got he's got no goals. I think he's maybe got one assist in that time or possibly two, but certainly not many. And and I just don't think he he's looked dangerous. He's not been the value of that who's got that sort of drop the shoulder run into the box. He's put threatening balls into the box. And I think yes to an extent maybe he's struggling to cope with the, the step up. But Ultimately, I think other players are adapting to step up quick and near. I think in the first month of the season, Scar was, was really struggling to step up. Whereas the last few games, you know, his his cock up yesterday notwithstanding, the last few games seemed that was a lot better. I think in the first month, month and a half, I think Randall was very much struggling to cope and step up. He 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 wasn't used to being pressed so much. He he needed that little bit more time on the board than what he had. But again, since then I think he's really um become a lot sharper with possession when being pressed, and he stepped up. Whereas the Mumba I think we're seeing now is still the same Mumba of the first three or four weeks of the season. And he, he may well improve them. And yes, I do take the point that some of his advanced stats are quite good. But I just feel for a, for a major attacking player in the front three, I want to be seeing a bit more from him than, than I currently am. Quite a bit more, quite a lot more in all honesty. Um, I would say it's probably worth mentioning the kids only just turned 22. Like... And as, you know, even the, the best kind of youngsters in, in the world, you know, generally they're, they're more inconsistent. That, that's just a, a fact. And then you and then you kind of gain your consistency and, and experience and a bit of nous and all that stuff, you know. So, yeah, just just let's let's give him time. I'm not saying he's undroppable. I'm not saying we shouldn't, you know, look at. Look at, you know, um, yeah, giving giving someone else a chance in that role or if we go to a back three 
yeah, we, we've got other other options at wing back, but you know, he he is still young, and I'm I still think he's got a, a massive part to play in our future. Yeah, just just to clarify my previous <clears throat> comments, uh, you do not under any circumstances got to hand it to the no. <laughs> just to... I, I, John, you are the worst person for digging out stuff that's said out of context and making it sound worse than <laughs> it is on the pod. Yeah, okay, he's going to say that I said the word flop, and I think the word. No, 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 I'm not. No, okay, well, there we go. I've dug myself a hole then. You've just told him yourself, mate. Okay, that was the one so far, so go on. Let's see what (laughs) what John's going to have to... It's clarifying my earlier comments, not yours. Um, But, well, yeah, well done for telling on yourself. Um... No, I was going to say, when I said, is it, is it time to drop him? I don't want that to be interpreted as some kind of like absolutely drastic, like, you know, you're benched, son, you're not coming back in or anything. I wonder if it's time, I think is what I meant to say, is I wonder if it's time to start seeing him at the moment based on form as as Dan says, not undroppable, right? Like someone who, if there is rotation, could come in and out for a couple of weeks, as opposed to someone who is a first name on the team sheet. Uh, uh, to another friend of ours, I was actually defending him yesterday morning as a first name, still a first name on the team sheet. So maybe I'm being a bit knee jerk um, after after yesterday. But, um, and, but but I would also say that part of it as well is really not to do with Mumba, and it's to do with Zazen Kundal, who I thought, uh, to return to Dan's earlier point just very slightly, I thought were excellent Um yesterday together when I saw both their names on the <clears throat> both their names on the team sheet I was sort of wondering is that an overly attacking uh combination to go to the team that are second in the league but it worked brilliantly um and I think if there are games where those two could play together but also have Houghton and Randall in there then you know in some in some kind of formulation I wouldn't necessarily be totally opposed to the idea of that so it's it's yeah I definitely don't want to come across as too harsh on Mumbo I completely agree with what Dan's saying he's a young player I think he's finding his feet at this level Anyone who expected him to just kind of again dance past defenders like he did on the opening day every single week, uh, it is it w- was you know fooling themselves. Um, uh, yeah, he, he will have a huge, huge future here and, and in football generally and a huge part to play. But at the moment, I think you know, especially after yesterday, there has to be a recognition that he's. I think as Sam actually put it very well, uh, it was actually not about to uh, throw Sam under the bus. I was going to praise him, come here to uh, not to to bury Sam, but to praise him. Um, um was was to say yeah that you know he um maybe hasn't shown the type of growth that some of the others have and if that continues to be the case maybe you have to sort of play around with with different approaches and mumba is is one option but there are others rather than seeing him as first name on the team sheet but yeah i think he he will play more weeks than not for the rest of the season and that will be the right thing it's just clearly you know at the moment i think we've got a lot of good players who are knocking on the door and you're going to have to be in in good form to to keep you playing there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss picture the scene all of your mates around you've got your mcnugget share boxes ready to go partner this with your team playing champagne football perfect order mug delivery now on the mcdonald's app there's nothing quite like a mcdelivery at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com yeah while we're talking about um defense 
defensive players then before we get on to the rotation of options up top. Um, just a quick word on... Um, see you later, John. Goodbye. Um, just a quick word on... Uh, where was I going with this? Something about Dan Scar. Um, obviously, that ball from Leif Davis is is absolutely incredible and I, I genuinely think he'll be in the Prem if Ipswich aren't. Yeah. But surely Dan Scar's got to be doing better there, hasn't he, Dan? I th- I think Dan has Dan Scar has got to be doing slightly better there. Um, it's it's not an absolute clangor of an error because, like you say, it is a good ball from Davis. Um, but yeah, he's it, it, it is something that um, I th- I think that you know it, to, to kind of put this in isolation. I know it's confirmation bias because it is just one incident and it could have happened and not led to a goal and then we would not all we would have all forgotten about it. But it, it did. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, it is something that I think we were perhaps worried about, about before the start of the season, you know, playing Scar in a back four. Would he be able to adapt from being middle centre-back in a back three, which I think there was quite a lot of chat um, in his first two seasons here of, blimey, well, this guy left Walsall, you know, wasn't really that good in League One, or possibly even League Two, I think, wasn't it? And... Oh, blimey, how, you know, is this guy going to be good? Oh, well, actually, this system that we play, middle centre-back in a back three, just suits him so, so well. Uh, if he ever plays in a back four, he will be the kind of player that Warsaw fans told us about. Um, but in middle centre-back, he's perfect. As it has transpired, you know, generally so far this season, he has done very well um, right centre-back in a back four. Um, but this was perhaps a kind of the first example of like, you know, if... If you know we are kind of pushing our fullbacks higher up, or or the right centre back and um, the right right back invert, um, would he then be kind of stretched and caught out, um, caught out for pace? But this is just a one-off incident, you know. Generally, his form has been been good this season. Um, he has adapted very well to playing in a back four. Um, is he going to be a long-term fixture in the team with Plegathuelo waiting in the wings? That I'm less sure of, just because of, of Pleggy's quality. Nothing against Ansgar. Um, so we will wait and see on that one. But generally, I think he's done a really good job so far this season. I'm not going to bash him too much um, for just, you know, an error that could have happened to anyone. He's made a couple of mistakes, um, ironically. Not mistakes even, but hesitations this season. Um, and there was one game where he had an absolutely incredible first half. And everyone have been blowing, like praising Plegasuelo for for, for um, like like he was the second coming. And I really love Pleggy. You know, I think he's brilliant. But I, I felt bad for for Dan Scar. I thought, well, he's, he's done a very serviceable job. He's performed a lot better this season than I thought he would. Um, and I sort of sent a tweet out or something. Or maybe I said to the guys in the I was watching the game with, you know, Scar's been excellent this first half, and then second half he it was another moment of indecision, and it led directly to a goal. It, it wasn't necessarily straight from it, but sort of like two or three moves later and then there was a goal. So as as well as he is playing, he does have those kind of moments. Maybe it is unfamiliarity with the, or or maybe less comfort with the formation. Um, but he's also just been really unlucky that they've got punished that way. You know, they stand out as not every time you make a mistake, does it get hammered? Um, and, you know, like yesterday, it was still a difficult finish to put away 
goalkeeper comes out well, makes himself big, and it's it's a great finish. You know, if, if it goes the other side of the post, we're like, well, he's got let off there, and we move on, as has been said. So sometimes you just got to take your medicine. You know, you make you, you, you make a mistake and you get punished for it. Other days you, you don't. Ryan Hardy and Mustafa Bundu both taken off injured. Uh, two questions here then. Firstly, have we seen any update on their injuries? I haven't. No, I think Shuey didn't really say anything about it in his post-match comments that I saw. Okay, and then part two of that, Sam, is just how worried should we be if Wayno is our only fit striker? Um, okay, I'll try and give a balance to you on this, because I, I think I am genuinely trying to put a balance on this. I've said on, on here quite a few times, I don't think Ben Wayne is, is at all championship ready at the moment. Um, I think in many games when he's come on, and certainly in that awful night in Bristol when he started, his performances have been a way off the level we would expect. Um, I, I, I think he's he's indecisive on the ball. He doesn't quite do enough off the ball, although he is possibly getting a bit better in that regard based on the performance in the Palace Cup game. But all in all, I think he's a, a long way below Ryan Hardy. He's quite a way below Bundu as well. And, and incidentally, um, by the way, have, having said on the previous podcast that I was on, but I wasn't really feeling the Bundu love. I, I'm feeling it a lot more after the last two games. Um, a good performance on Wednesday night, topped off by a great free kick and a very good performance yesterday, which he he would have scored if, if they didn't cheat. Um, but yeah, um, but I'm feeling the Bundu love a lot more. Going back to the Wayne point, if Hardy and Bundu are injured, I have concerns about playing Ben Wayne for a prolonged period of time based on him not being quite ready. However, I really do want to try and be positive about one thing because I do think yesterday he didn't do too badly off the bench at all. I think mean, he, he made himself very lively. His movement was continuous. It was rapid. He stretched their defenders and he moved defenders out of positions that, that allowed others to, to fill in the gaps. And I think if he wasn't fouled so continuously, um, he would have won, you know, he would have been able to do a lot more. And again, it was on that the really poor refereeing display from Gavin Ward that, that I think let him be bullied so badly. Maybe I can, I, I know what Dan's going to say, that he thinks it was just being a bit yep. too weak. But I, and I think maybe one or two of them you could put down to that. But I think there were about five or six different disputed fouls. And I think, I think at least three of them were absolute stonewallers. And I think a couple of others were, were in my view, fouls as well. Although obviously with them being fairly innocuous incidents, they're, they're not on the extended highlights package. And I've, I've not yet been masochistic enough to go back and rewatch the whole game. So maybe I might change my mind on that a bit more. But I, I think by and large, Wayne did well off the bench yesterday and he was unlucky to, to not equalise at the end, having seen that one back. Um, so I think he did do well off the bench yesterday. Um, and I, I would be, I would be, Maybe not happy, but I would be cautiously content to see him start against Middlesbrough off the back of that. Because, and again, another point I'll make is that this is something me and Dan have discussed privately off the pod. And I think something I've heard a few other people say as well. I think Wayne is not really built to be an impact sub. Yes, he's quick, but he, you know he's not powerful. He is someone who, rightly or wrongly, needs a bit of time to bed into games. He's more of a starter than he is a closer. Schumacher talks about his starters and his closers. I think Wayne is a starter rather than a closer. Naturally, he's had to come on and be a closer just because Brian Hardy and Latterly Mustafa Bundu have been so good, Wayne's not warranted a start. But I think he is more naturally suited to being a starter. And I think if we give him a start, we let him do his thing, we let him grow into the game, the two games he has been a starter, which is um, in, at home park, obviously Bristol City, bless you know, everyone was awful that night, but the cup game against Orient, he was very good and scored two goals. And we can we can laugh at over Jody Orient, but they are, well, what, they are sixth in League One, seventh in League One, they're, they're doing pretty well. And the cup game against Crystal Palace, which yes, it was a B team, but I think Crystal Palace's B team would, would certainly be competitive in this league, even, you know, and, and, and the league below, they'd be a, a very good team. So, um, you know, 
I think he's he is he is not good enough, is my honest opinion. But I think there's a difference between not being good enough and not being capable of having some good games as part of a system. I don't think Ryan Law was good enough, but he, you know, he won us the game at Birmingham and earned us a money spinning tight Chelsea. So you know what? Let's give him a chance. I, I have my doubts about him. I've 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 been probably more critical of him than I have been of any other player, apart from Tyreek Wright, unfortunately to him. <laughs> I've been probably more critical of Wayne than I have been of almost any other player on this podcast. But I think if Hardy and Bundu are both injured, let's give him a go. Let's see if he sinks or swims. And I really hope he swims. Yeah, I absolutely love the bloke as a, as a as a bloke and just like his little smile. It's very cute. I just, I really want him to work out here. Do you, do you think he's going to cut it, Ben? Honestly, like... No, um, I was in the process of making a couple of a series of videos on the squad and um, where there's potential, where there's not the fact that our fans love to like dig out our players in a strange way. And I will support Ben Wayne. I don't see the benefit in in digging him out. I mean, if, if, he's, if he has a bad performance, I'll say it like I say about any other players, but I think he should get supported. But I was at both of those cup games um, and I watched the video back because I wanted to, like I say, I was trying to make a, make a series of videos and life happened and got in the way and, I, and it sort of stalled after the first two. But I was quite surprised because I remember him being brilliant in those games that he missed quite a few chances he could have done a lot better with, even before he got his goals, like the first couple of minutes, I think it was at Orient, um, where it might have been Palace. It was obviously one of those two games where you sort of think, yeah, if he, if he hadn't gone on and scored the goals he got, that one would have haunted him. Um, and there were a few after. The Bristol City game, obviously, you know, the, the swivel and hit that, was was like nowhere near the goal. You know, I don't know how big the goal would have had to have been for that to have been on target. His attributes require him to be a lethal finisher. That's the th- the one thing he needs to add to his game to be effective as a striker with the qualities he has. And from what I've seen, you know, despite the goals he scored in the cup, if you look at the the whole of those performances, he wasn't even clinical in those games, let alone the other times. And I don't like giving. St- you know, analyzing strikers when they come on the sort of 10, 15 minutes into a game that's not a real match dynamic when they come on at the end of the games. But if, you know, you can base it, you can you can base an opinion this season from Bristol City and the two cup games. And I just don't think he's clinical enough. Um, um by clinical, I don't mean finishing it, I mean hitting the target, um, making the keeper work. That said, is he the best option? Sadly, probably yes. And so he should, you know, should, we should all get behind him and and Hope he does well and proves me wrong. Um, but, you know, January can't get it fast enough, in my opinion. What I would quickly say, Ben, about wanting to quote your own argument against you and be a smart arse, I'm, I'm going to do so slightly. Going back to your point about the team in general, um, we're scoring in, scoring at a good level, even if we could be scoring more, we're missing chances, that still doesn't detract from we're scoring at a good level. Surely that could be said in the games we started as an individual player for Wayne, that scoring three and three is good, even if he could have scored more. Is that not argument not does not that not ring true to him as an individual in the same way? No, because we're outperforming our XG as a team, and Wayne isn't outperforming his XG. Yeah, fair comment. Fair comment. Um, I, I think that's a, a reasonable answer for sure. But um, I think obviously I think with, with two of those or two of those Orient ones, um, yeah, he did have a couple of misses. But it's also worth pointing out that maybe something that wouldn't go up in the status that he had one ruled out for a very tight offside, which arguably wasn't offside. So there is that as well. Yeah, you know, like I said, I don't want to to pillory the guy um, or pillory, I mispronounce that. I, I hope he does well. You know, I'm sure he doesn't care what I think. I'm sure he'll care what 
what the manager says and the staff say, uh, and they'll hopefully give him the confidence to go out. But you know, he, he's not even got someone to relieve him after sort of 60 minutes, really. So defences are going to know this guy's coming in, you know, we'll stick our best centre-back on him and and that's it. You know, he, he's got a really tough ask. It's not just about him and his abilities. It's the role he's being thrust into now is an absolute thankless task. You know, we were talking about how thankless it was for Hardy to be, you know, running when when he's being pushed out wide to try and to bring other players in, waiting for people to join him and how hard he was finding that as an established striker. I don't think Ben Wayne being asked to do that on top of being asked to be the main goal threat is is a reasonable ask of him. I think it's asking far too much of him. And even if he, you know, even if he had fate more favourable circumstances, I'm not sure he's got the requisite skills, um, talent just yet. Anyway, I think it's a fair comment. Um, just one final thing in terms of who could bring off the bench. Dare I say it? Maybe a championship debut for Freddie Asaka as a sub could be on the cards, maybe. Oh, Aaron, Aaron's throwing his arms up into the air because he was about to say it, isn't he? Yeah. I give up with these running orders. Um, not that I've actually prepared one today, but th- th- literally the next note is, does Freddie Osaka get his uh, championship debut? Dan, do you think that Freddie's ready? Um, to be brutally honest, I haven't seen enough of him yet to to make a kind of solid uh, conclusion on that. But I think the fact that he has been around the first team squad at his age is massively encouraging. Clearly, shuey has got a lot of faith in him. Um whether you know he'll have kind of like Adam Randall a couple of loans in the next couple of years before he kind of makes his makes things more permanent in our in our first team potentially that might be the best for him as it was with Randall for sure. In more short term, I I wouldn't start him next week, but just kind of going slightly back onto the Wayne thing and, and talking about next week. Ben Wayne is a potentially yeah a, a very good poacher. And, you know, and for another one that's still quite young, I think he could still improve. And, and you know, if he could improve his finishing, yeah, could could definitely be a poacher. You know, I think his, his penalty area movement seems pretty good. The issue that I have with him at the minute in either of our main two systems, a 3-4-2-1 or um, the four-at-back system, they're both one up front. And whilst I do acknowledge that I said earlier about, you know, we can play through a press now, we don't need to have a big lump up front that can win headers. What Hardy and Bundu do have is the ability to um, drop into little pockets of space in deeper areas and link the play up and then move us up the pitch, which I haven't seen from Wayne yet. And the bigger problem is, like I say, you don't need to be an absolute you know, tank up front, but you've got to have some strength to be able to hold off defenders. Um, so when you're, you know, when you're being tightly marked and you're trying to link the play up, You've got to be able to, you know, hold off hold off the centre back to some extent. Ben Wayne doesn't have that in his locker yet at all. So it's just very much like, you know, he'll try and run in behind, but then it also doesn't have Hardy's pace or Bundu's pace to kind of really stretch defences if they're playing a high line. So a lot of those attributes which we do need um in either of our main systems to play that lone striker role, Wayne doesn't have in his locker yet. Hopefully he will do in time, but it's it's a difficult one for me at the minute. I sadly yesterday, as Sam alluded to, I kind of disagreed on his performance yesterday. I just think he wasn't strong enough against those big centre backs, and it reminded me sadly a little bit of you know um, 
in uh, the first season up in League One when we used to bring Alex Fletcher off the bench. You know, we didn't have a wealth of options up front. So, you know, I can understand why he was getting minutes, but it just looked a little bit like a kid running around. And and that's that's harsh on, on Wayne. I know, you know, he's a, he is potentially a good player, but it's, it's proven difficult for him right now, I think. Therefore, next week... Um, I think we've got to, you know, play to our strengths of the players available. And therefore, if Hardy and Bundu are out, um, I wouldn't play Wayne on his own up front. I'd shift Whitaker up there with him or playing just off him in maybe like a 3-5-1-1 or a 3-5-2 or maybe even a kind of 4-4-2 with kind of weak, not natural wide men, maybe kind of sitting in a bit narrower just to give Wayne that help up front. Because I think if we do play him up front from the start, next weekend it will be it, it i think we'll we'll struggle to get up the pitch in the way that we do um when it's hardy or bundu up front and that could really cost us against a, a decent middlesbrough side yes um he obviously played in both the the league cup games against orient he looked lethal um he made good decisions um and he executed them well palace he looked a bit like a rabbit and the headlights when they dealt with him physically. Um, I don't think he gets kicked around quite the same way at the level he plays. And I think that he would be a target coming into the team in the championship for people to get in the head of. Uh, and so I think like Dan's suggestion that loans might be better, not because he hasn't got the ability. He clearly does. Um, he's got, you know, frighteningly good footballer, but it's the, the psychological aspect of the game is massive, isn't it? We know that. And he, I don't think, is ready to step in, especially into this kind of crucible of a situation that Argyle are in now. I don't think it would be beneficial to his career for him to to, to step into the team now. He's definitely a, a really bright prospect and you wouldn't want to ruin him by taking a chance that he can cope with that unless you had, you know, ironclad confidence that he had the the the, the, the mental metal to, 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 to cope with it. We'll soon find out. Hopefully he gets some opportunities off the bench if and when called upon and needed. Question from, I'm going to guess this is VBTS, and I'm going to guess their initials and they're not actually called Verbutus. Why is our away atmosphere so much better than our home? What are the key differences and how can we transmit these differentials from away grounds into our home matches? Uh, Sam, I know you, I think it was you in your intro. It might have been John, actually, who has um, since departed. Um, you know, questions the uh, the atmosphere at, at Portman Road. Very quiet. Yeah, I don't want to get too much into slanging matches between fans. I've already had enough of that this weekend. Sure? But, um, <laughs> look, um, I think um, I, I do want to make one very, very serious point before I go on and, and slightly wind up Ipswich fans a bit more, which is that I have had a point out by a number of people um, that the story about their officials storming out of the EFL dinner is possibly slightly wrong. I referenced that as a point for why I wanted to beat them. Um, and I think I've had it pointed out to me that the story came from the Sun newspaper, which is of, to say the least, questionable repute on, on certain football stories and and is not true. And that McKenna wasn't there because he was otherwise engaged, but he texted Chewy his congratulations. And, and whilst the officials did leave shortly after it, they already knew that Schumacher was winning and it wasn't in any kind of protest or anything like that. So I do want to say to Ipswich fans quite sincerely that I'm not in any way a mouthpiece of the Sun newspaper, and I do think I may have got that story slightly wrong. However, I absolutely stand by the fact that a lot of their fans are arrogant, sorry to say it. 
Um, I said I wasn't getting into a slanging match, but maybe maybe I'll have. Um, yeah, but, but please, but, but but please clip the bit before it as well because I want to get that on record. <laughs> I haven't said the, the wrong thing. I want to I want to get my correction on record. Um, I do think that a lot of their fans sort of you know looked down their nose at little old Plymouth and were very sour when we when we beat them and and won the league ahead of them. I, I think that is inarguably true. But you know, a lot of their fans were congratulatory towards us as well, and I think a lot of their fans. Were, were were very um, congratulatory towards us yesterday uh, as well. So look, it's not all fans at all, but um, I do think that uh, some of the gloating towards me was a little excessive when they won due to such a lot of luck going their way. But there we have it. Um, due to the fans being due to the fans being quite quiet, I, I think they were. Um, but again, we spoke about on the podcast last season that our fans were, were quite quiet at the home games. And I do actually think being in a tight promotion season, as contradictory as it sounds. And maybe this is just based on anecdotal evidence that isn't really backed up. But I think that being in a tight promotion season or promotion challenging season can be bad for noise because A, it brings in a lot of people who who are, are, are newbies who don't necessarily get involved with the chanting. And B, it, the, it, the nerves build up uh, amongst the hardcore fans and the nerves maybe prevent the big atmosphere from getting going. But that being said, I, I didn't hear a lot from the war game. Maybe it's due to the acoustics of the stadium. I'm trying to be as scrupulously fair to them as I can, but certainly certainly far from what I'd call a noisy or, or intimidating home atmosphere. But there we have it. Just the question about our our atmosphere at home. Yeah, how, how do we take our away atmosphere uh, into the home games? I think the problem with the home game is that you have, A, a bunch of people who've not been regularly. You know, we've obviously selling, we're selling out the, the, the ground and they're not necessarily as enthusiastic as support. You know, you've got to accept that. But also that, there's a lot of people who, like, for example, I didn't, I haven't bought a season ticket for years because of the way my life is. There's certain things that I can't, you know, sometimes I have to commit to things that, and, and I can't get to matches. So I go basically wherever I can get a ticket, ideally in the Devonport three or four, or, or recently Zoo Corner has been, been good fun. And uh, it's just me and a mate, or sometimes me on my own if Great Western Railways uh, uh, perform like they usually do. Um, and, you know, there's been times where I've sort of like sat in amongst people who don't recognise me and sort of think, oh, here are you, sort of like day tripper here just because we're doing well. And then I'm singing all game and they're looking at me like I'm mad because I'm literally the only person responding to this people singing three rows behind trying to get something going. And I'm I'm quite loud when I when I sing. And it's just me belting it on my own. And like everybody for three rows around me is looking at me like, what are you doing? Because they're just not used to to the singing. And what happens is, whereas in the old days, I'd have yeah, if I'd have got to say six matches in the year, I'd just go and sit in block three or four with everyone who sings with the regulars and just blend in. Because it's full, you can't just go and sit with the singing crowd. So everyone's kind of diluted. And so you can't get anything going because you you can't just get the the choruses together that you would before. You've got a bunch of lads in one spot who want to start singing and a bunch of lads in another spot. And it's it's most clear over in, in Zoo Corner. You'll have three or four bunches of lads trying to get something going individually, but if they if they could just all get together and 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 start together, then they'd, they'd be loud enough to sort of to get something to get a chant going for everyone to sing. And it, it is really disappointing for people like me who that's part of the game who love that part of the match that there's just a bunch of like negativity and, and moaning and sitting down. And you know we're not going to get onto the the, the steward or anything because I think stewards do an important job. I think that you know you can, you you have to ensure safety. Someone falls down and smashes their head open. People say, "Well, why don't the stewards do something?" So I understand that there's a job there, but there is a maybe um, there's an antagonism between supporters and stewards that that doesn't help um, at times. So many when when you've got those diluted pockets of of, of the singing sections amongst the the corners where the singing normally starts. 
it's really hard to get a kind of unified voice going when when you've all been to home park where there's been like five or six thousand i'm presuming back in the dark old days and it was really loud at times because you had sort of 600 700 people all stood together in Devonport, all who wanted to sing and then that and everybody else sort of caught the fever whereas now it's really difficult to get with that you know you're better off with that small nucleus as i'm sure some people observed on 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 twitter and, and different spaces and i don't think it's fair to say oh well the, you know the part-timers should just go home or they should come along and uh, and everyone should sing I, you know I, I would like it if everyone would sing but they've paid their money they can come along and sit on their hands if they want to but there should be an easier way of being like you know if, if you've bought a season ticket in block three and you want people to sit down why did you buy a season ticket in block three there must be a way of us being able to sort of rearrange things so that I can turn up and go and sing myself hoarse and shout myself hoarse and Millie, who's 45 with a, you know, bought season tickets to take her grandkids and she's in block three. She can... 45 with grandkids? <laughs> yeah, I, was wondering if... <laughs> I, I want to see if that makes it into the pod or not. <laughs> uh, you know, but if, if people have come along and they don't want to, you know, they're in, maybe they put themselves in the wrong block because they've just decided they'll come along for the championship season. Put them somewhere they can sit comfortably and, and, and stuff. It's, it's just, there needs to be a little bit maybe... Um, leeway with sort of seating and and what we're, we're trying to do there maybe needs to be a bit of coordination between constructive coordination between fans groups and and the club in that regard and um i know the club are very good and they're very accommodating in lots of ways i know this answer's probably gone on for a long time but it's something i'm quite passionate about i think you know the, the, the atmosphere has been a bit tame all season even even at the best of times you know even even norwich was was would you believe that you know there were times when we weren't singing I and mean, i can't believe sort of what you know thinking back to how long would it have been when i was a teenager in the last championship sort of seasons and the promotion push to the championship how like we've been beating someone six two and there would be times when we weren't singing you know or there were gaps it's just it's just crazy so that you know i do think that much could be done to improve the atmosphere um and i think that you know, when I hear people saying, oh, it'd be better if all the day trippers went home, I kind of do see where they're coming from. I don't agree because I think everyone's got the right to come and enjoy the game the way they want to. But I understand how it interrupts with and interferes with the ability of those who do want to get boisterous from getting together and doing so. Another away day without a win. Um, um, you know, that 3pm uh, Saturday record continues um our next few away games see us face Leeds and Leicester in amongst um a few others is there is there a real chance that we see out this year without an away win this season Dan well I think sorry, sorry I know for Dan just to quickly say I'm um, very quickly that um obviously the only two Saturday 3 p.m away games remaining in 2023 are Leeds and Leicester because you've got a couple of Tuesday nights then you've got Boxing Day and then a Friday night in Southampton so even if we do win win the Winning an away game in this year, you know, that's that. It's probably like you'd roll on to at least January. Sorry, now I'll let Dan answer yeah, the question. It's, it's, it's Coventry and um, QPR on a Tuesday, isn't it? Yeah, Coventry, QPR on a Tuesday night. Cardiff on a Boxing Day Tuesday, so that'll obviously be a 3pm Tuesday, bank holiday, mm-hmm. and then Southampton on a Friday night, and then the two Saturdays are Leeds and Leicester. So unless we win even Leeds or Leicester, which would be surprising then that start of 3pm Saturday away win is probably going to roll into 2024. That is madness. When, when do you see us picking up our first away win, Dan? That was brilliant, wasn't it? I, I managed to answer that question of yours without even opening my mouth. I'm, I'm well <laughs> impressed. Um, I'm 
I'm not too bothered about the Saturday 3pm stat because I think that's just a complete freak of, of nature. Obviously, it's it's surprising given that we won the title last season and were so brilliant. But it just so happened that basically every time we didn't play away at 3pm on a Saturday, we won last season. So, you know, it's not as if we've gone ages and ages without an away win of any sort, although it is now racking up, of course, and... and um, Leeds and Leicester will be incredibly tough. They're basically just free hits again, aren't they? Um, Leicester especially look absolutely imperious this season. And, and you know, they will, you know, fall off that, fall off the kind of um, points per game that they've got at the minute, I'm sure. I'm sure they're not going to end up with about 125 points, which I think is what they're um, looking like they're going to get um, based on the record at the minute. But it's still going to be incredibly tough. You know, it's football. Anything can happen. And that's why that was what I was basing up my prediction of us beating Ipswich on. But it is going to be really, really tough going to those two. But, um, you know, we'll we'll see what we can do. QPR was probably one that a lot of people had earmarked as a potential for the first away win. Uh, unfortunately uh, for us, they have now sacked Mr. Ainsworth last night. So that's um, their chances of staying up greatly improved. Um, maybe Coventry, we could get we could get a three. You know, who who knows? But um, let's just let's just see how we go. I mean, it, it, you know, it's so difficult um, going going away from home um, this season. I think it's going to continue to be so, just because. As I guess I'm going to keep coming back to, um, we're a small fish in this league and therefore getting results in in any, any game is difficult. It's such a cliche, you know, no easy games in the championship, but it really is true. You know, there were games last season where um, I think basically we could have just turned up and won Forest, both Forest Green games stick in my mind as, as, as being that, but even Rotherham, Sheffield Wednesday, I know, was was a comfortable enough win, but you know they could easily have been ahead in the first half. So it's it's a it's a brutal league, um, but we're making a really good fist of it so far. So let's let's see if we can we can carry on with that. Just one thing I want to kind of circle back to about um, kind of uh, Ipswich's atmosphere and 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 things, kind of on a related point to that. Comfortably, the most tin pot thing I've ever seen at a football ground, ever heard at a football ground. I don't know if anyone else picked up on this is right at the start of half time you know the announcer you know does his usual kind of spiel and and often they'll do the kind of half time scores in that straight away not in the middle of the half time scores just kind of in isolation he said right fans you'll be you'll be delighted to hear that norwich are currently 2-1 down at sunderland and then there's a bit of a cheer and then he says no come on you can do better than that and there's a lot how obsessed do you have to be with your rivals. If we started doing that about Exeter, I would just be, I'd shrivel up with embarrassment. Like how, how can you care that much about your local rivals? You're second in the league. You're potentially on a promotion charge to the Premier League. And you're oh, Let's have a look. You know, let's, let's do a wild, like cheer. Norwich are losing. It's just pathetic. Like, Public relations repair with Ipswich has gone swimmingly tonight, hasn't it? Yeah, it's a big um it was the biggest cheer at the full time as well, like like reading out the score again. Like Oh, it used to annoy me a lot when, you know, especially like last season when you know we were kind of coming into the um closing stages of our promotion push and it'd be like, Oh, Exeter are one nil down at home to Shrewsbury or something, and oh massive cheer. Like, who cares? But 
really come on well i must admit i give that a cheer just because i you know i'm I'm that kind of a petty person <laughs> fair enough but if anybody I, I... if anybody from suffolk or an Ipswich fan are listening be sure to retweet the tweet in which you found this um pod uh that will go down really well um you guys too. brilliant <laughs> criticism uh very well um on on the Ainsworth point obviously Nigel Pearson um has left Bristol City or been sacked or whatever I just saw that he'd left uh cheers Nige is trending in the UK which is great to see um <laughs> Stephen Schumacher and Ryan Lowe now cheers Nige move into joint second longest serving managers in the championship which is absolute madness um yeah, so uh, long live Shuey. And that's October done and dusted now. Um, you know, a 2 0 defeat to Millwall, a 3 1 defeat to Swansea, a 0 0 draw with West Brom, a 3 0 win over Sheffield Wednesday, and a 3 2 defeat to Ipswich Town. How how do you assess the month as a whole, Sam? Um, yeah, I started talking about it. I'm on mute. Month as a whole, I would say slightly below what we would have wanted just because of those two home games at the start of the month more than anything. Uh, we have been very good since the international break. Um, probably should have got more than, well, almost certainly should have got more than the four points that we did get. Um, we West Brom could have been a win, I think, yesterday. Should have been a win at the very least, a draw. So three good performances and a respectable points tally, but one that should have been higher since the international break. But what drags it down is obviously the two games before. And I know that's just a quirk of, you know, the international break falling in the middle of the month, but it's almost like two separate phases of our season. But the Millwall and Swansea losses were were disappointing because I don't, I don't think either of those are particularly brilliant teams. I know we got Swansea on a good run of form, but I think either of those we, we could have just put away if we'd been a bit sharper and a little bit more incisive. We could have um, put those away and, and been looking at getting at least three points, if not four or even six. Um, so I think to an extent it's a month of missed opportunities how much of that is stuff we've actually done wrong or how much of it is what Ben excellently alluded to about playing well and just not having the, the rub of the green fall our way you know is up for debate but I think to have only four points from the entire month is not what we would have hoped for going into it but a little bit of a positive sign is that um, obviously, four of them have come in the last three games. So, yeah, um, not great, but not time to wave the white flag just yet. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll preview November in the Middlesbrough preview pod, uh, which definitely won't be recorded tonight. Um, moving on to any other business then. Obviously, Craig Noon has announced his retirement from football. Anybody got a favourite Noon memory? A winner against Sheffield Wednesday, 3-2 win in our season in the... Um, Championship under Peter Reid. Um, really enthralling end-to-end game. We were all, we were put down to 10 men, in my view, quite unjustly. It was deemed to be a clear goal-scoring opportunity, but I, I don't think it really was. And um, we 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 were, we were uh, one nil up at the time. I think they pulled it back to 1-1. We went 2-1 and then 2-2. And then and Craig Noon got the winner, 3-2. Um, really exhilarating game uh, in what was a pretty dark season. That was one of the, the best moments. And... Um, yeah, a very good player for us. And it's a shame that if things were a bit different, his career could have been slightly longer with us, but not to be. Yeah, you sort of have to mention that. The story that goes around every time he's mentioned on Twitter as well is that, the, you know, him coming down from, was it Skelmersdale or Southport? Skelmersdale. Southport, I 
think Skelmersdale would George Donnelly, I think. Oh, the great George Donnelly. Yeah, so, that, you know, Craig Noon uh, leaving his job as a roofer and then being asked if he gets paid in the summer. Uh, that's, a, that's a brilliant anecdote. Uh, Dan, I feel like you wanted to add something there. Uh, mine was just slightly more personal in that um, being the uh, awkward 16-year-old that I was, um, I was too shy to actually say anything to him. Um, but I got replica shirt of that season and it um, got Craig Noon uh, as name number on the back because um, he was one of my favourite players. And uh, yeah, then um, sometime after that, I uh, went to a uh, Plymouth Raiders basketball game um, with, with said shirt on and... Um, saw him there. Like I say, I was too shy to go up and say anything, but um, saw that he and his mates kind of spotted and and kind of went, oh, look, someone's got your shirt on. Like, yeah, which probably is a bit of a comment on, you know, back, back in those days, it was kind of a rarity seeing a Plymouth Argyle shirt around the city of Plymouth. It was all, you know, Man United and Liverpool and Arsenal shirts, whereas now so many more out, which is, which is brilliant. I can't remember if it was Craig Noon. It's not a very good story if I can't remember if it was him. Um, but yeah, anyway, moving on. Let's play, should we play the Andy Davis game? Um, he's only sent through six questions because he feels like you'll get it almost instantly. Um, what we'll do, just to... No speak- pressure then. Yeah. Um, I think you'll get this, to be honest. Um, what we'll do is um, you get one guess each... Um, not per question. Once you've once you've had your guess, you basically have to wait for everybody to have their guess. So if you go too early, you you, you might screw it up. Are, are Dan and Ben fully aware of the concept of this game? Yeah, I'm sure they will be. Um, it's normally eight questions. He's only sent six. Um, if Andy Davis sends them, we play it. If he doesn't, we don't. And he nearly missed the card today. Um, you basically just have to guess the player. You get. I was going to say, is this the Jason Punchin thing? The Jason Punchin game. Yes. Nice. I might edit that out. Um, yes, it is the Jason Punching game. Um, question one. I was born on the 20th of October, 1989. I'll sort out some buzzers at some point. It's, it's late in the evening. I'm just trying to work out how old that would make him right now. 89, 30, mid-30s, early 30s? 33, nearly 34. Thank you, Sam. Yeah, I'm not going to edit in buzzers for this one because I'm very tired. Um, I had a few to drink yesterday. So um, let's... <laughs> I'll do it from next week. There'll be buzzers. Number two. I signed for Argyle in March 2016. Daniel Nardiello. Wrong. No, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. Right. Ah, he signed in January 2016. And mm. he's too old. March oh, 2016. March is a... Mm. Oh, Jamil Matt. Ah. Oh. Correct. Jamil defensively oh, terrified. Yeah, that was, yeah. Andy said that Sam would get it on question number two. He did not. Um, yeah, he also. I, I, I didn't really think that I only had one guest. Uh, never mind. <clears throat> so I was, was genuinely gutted he didn't come back. I, I've, you know, I don't know why I fell in love with it. A bit like Bundy, just strange sort of, oh, I was devastated when we couldn't get him back. Jamil Matt is one of those players that I do look out for. Like he's just yeah. seems, to be, seems to be quite liked by every fan base, despite never really like hitting the the heights in which his talents could take him. You know, obviously he's been like via Forest Green and Walsall and you know clubs of of League Two uh, level. Um, but yeah, anyway, well done, Dan. Yeah, congrats, Dan. Cheers. Congrats. That if it was three hours earlier in the evening, but yeah, I feel like Dan might be leading or at least second place in the leaderboard as Andy's added in my um, trip in the Uber, which is 
absolutely brilliant. Just a polite warning, Aaron. The F1 is in five minutes. If you could look to well, ten minutes. If you could look to wrap it up, that'd be appreciated. Thank you. Before we go, is there anything anybody wants to add, or are we call it that a night? Just what a privilege it was to play against the um, greatest team League One has ever seen on Saturday. Didn't play ourselves, mate. God. Right. Anyway, night. Cheers, guys. Cheers, Cheers, mate. That's the end of another episode of Green and White brought to you by Argyle Life. Before you go, please make sure you drop us a review on whichever podcast platform you are using and make sure you follow us on Twitter at ArgoLife1886. Cheers. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.